Welcome to Competency Number Five, a bi-weekly podcast on maintaining calm and presence when coaching, leading, and living our lives. I'm your host, DG McCullough. In each episode, we interview those finding joy and clarity through being present. We also document my attempts as a communications coach to certify with the International Coaching Federation as a Master Certified Coach, an excellent and very strict training for maintaining presence. So step away from your work and join us for a bit on competency number five. Well, This week is Javon Cohn. He's a digital partnerships director at a leading global payments technology company who joined the Competency Number no. 5 podcast during busy wedding planning, golfing, and typical work pressures. Javon, who's expert at business development, relationship management, and account strategy across San Francisco and Singapore, has a delightful perspective on staying present especially when things get hectic, and especially when speaking with powerful people, something that his job routinely requires. I appreciated Javon's openness to bringing in something bigger than us, in this case, his Christian faith and his love for God, as a way to gain vital and grounding perspective. I also love Javon's ability to bring calm by remembering that leaders are just people. I hope you enjoy our exchange, which happened quite spontaneously, but remains a favorite interview for me in 2023. So one thing I've noticed, can I notice a couple of things about our calls together? Yep. Number one, you are always happy and you always seem content. Also, unlike many business professionals out there right now, you do not seem to have fear of higher stakes audiences, your leaders or otherwise. So I wondered, where did this fearlessness come from? Mm, I think personally, because I've been to different countries, I've relocated all the way from Singapore to the US. I think that it's given me like a broader perspective of things. And I usually like to put myself out of my comfort zone and challenge myself to do different things. And That is the reason why I've also decided to come to the U.S., just to stretch myself. So I think that's one. And secondly, I was saying that I think everyone is wired differently. Mm -hmm. So for me, it could just be that I'm wired this way. I tend to worry less. I tend to give my best and then not regret after that. So fortunately for me, I feel like I am a more thinking in the Maya Briggs context, more T than an F personality. Mm-hmm. So from what I've observed, people who has the F personality has usually a wide spectrum of happiness and mood, right? It could go from a scale of zero to a scale of 10 in a matter of hours or within a day. But for me, I think you asked me, where am I at right now? Mm-hmm. I'm usually at a seven to eight or maybe six to nine, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't fluctuate that much because, like I said, I think I'm wired that way. I tend to think on the positive side. And sometimes I feel too solutions-oriented as well, Mm -hmm. which is the feedback that I've been given. So the second thing is I'm wired that way. And the third thing is 
I think it's my faith. I'm a Christian myself. And I feel like whatever plan that I've put in place, whatever I do in my own human strength, ultimately, if it's not God's plan for me, it wouldn't work out. So I feel at this point, I'm comfortable enough that I know ultimately he knows what he wants from me in life. When I say he, meaning God, God mm. wants from me in life. And I'll just do my best in everything and not do like anything in a in inverted commas wrong. Like just follow the Bible, make sure that the things I do are not morally wrong or anything like that. Do my best. And if it's according to his will, then good. I'm given that thing that I want or I'm shown that path. If it's not, then at least I've tried my best and I know that, hey, I've tried my best and it didn't work out. It's not according to God's will. So beautiful. So you're saying part of your secret to staying content and fearless ties to your faith and knowing that God has his will and it will work out how he wants. The other piece is coming to this land like I did from your motherland of Singapore, New Zealand. And then the third piece was just knowing that you're possibly born this way of just having more optimistic thoughts and pessimistic, more courageous ones versus fearful ones. And that also brings kind of an ongoing tide of contentment and happiness. Right. Yeah, that's beautiful. So there's so many beautiful themes there. And my first question is, in knowing that God has his will and it's what he wants to see happen versus you, what happens to your communications and how you view challenges at work? Like, for instance, a spooky audience you have to present to. How does that impact you? Yeah, that's interesting. I did think about that question. Because <laughs> I have to ask as a communications coach, you're very unusual and not fearing in these moments. So it'll be strange if I put it across like that. I feel like when I'm talking to my boss mm. or when I'm talking to my boss's boss or the CEO, whoever in the company who's more senior than me. Sometimes I feel fearful, for sure. It's common, like the nervousness. Mm -hmm. And I think I do have a bit of stage fright. And Mm -hmm. I like to plan my presentation or have bullet points to talk about before going into any meeting. And I'm aware that I'm not the type that I can go in speak without preparing. Riffing or ad-libbing, you do need to prepare. Mm -hmm. That's right. But then I also tell myself that ultimately, who is my real boss? (laughs) Like, who is my biggest boss out there? Nice. My biggest boss is God. (laughs) So (laughs) nice. And what does that shift within you? Just remembering, hey, yeah, I need to impress my boss, but my real boss. Yeah, it shifts the fear away. Mm-hmm. It shifts the disappointment away because I feel like, oh, yeah, we'll disappoint humans for sure. Like in life, you cannot be perfect all the time. I'll disappoint my family members, my parents, my partner, my girlfriend, whoever. But ultimately, as long as it's pleasing to my real boss, then it's okay. Mm-hmm. And even if it's wrong, it's fine. It's fine. You can have another opportunity. Sometimes things, you may not have another opportunity, but that's totally okay as well, I feel. 
Mm-hmm. And if I speak up, for example, in a meeting, and I say something wrong, and if my boss reprimands me for it, then I'll tell him, "Yeah, I understand. Can you give me some feedback? Help me understand what I've said wrong, and I'll not do it again." Mm-hmm. And if my boss is reasonable, he would give me that feedback. He'll help me grow. If he or she is not reasonable, then maybe I should look for a different role or a different boss. So I think back to your question is just understanding who my real boss is, mm-hmm. and that removes the fear away. Like ultimately, all of us are humans. With mm-hmm. I tend to see everyone as equal. It's mm-hmm. not based on the position. Some people might have a more privileged position. Some people grew up in a less privileged background, but it doesn't mean one is more important than another. That's a really beautiful point, Javon. And I think I learned that not so much through my faith, but more so as a reporter when I was tasked with interview. Well, two things taught me that. One from my youth. We had a very economically turbulent life when I was younger. We were either very, very wealthy or very, very poor. And so when we were very, very wealthy, I noticed the people who were really wealthy were really not that much different to the people who were poor. People were people. You could not rely upon someone being one way or another based on their financial circumstances. People are people. So that was one lesson that I'm really grateful for as a girl. The other piece was as a reporter, when I interviewed leaders, political leaders or business leaders, really high up people in giant companies, they were really nervous to talk to me. And I was just a, <laughs> just a reporter. I was just the there to, yeah. And I know I was so surprised and maybe a little bit relieved to notice these people are really powerful, but they've got their fears too. Right. So that was a reminder. Can we talk a little bit about the other piece that brings you confidence? And that is. Coming to this land, America, where we're both based today, from your motherland of Singapore, how did that experience help you build this confidence you speak to today? Yeah, I think over time, I've been very fortunate to have people who encourage me to speak up and just try different things and not fear failing. Like at home, my parents are super supportive. So when I told them about this opportunity that I have in the U.S., they gave their full blessings, saying that, yep, go do it. Don't worry about what's happening at home. We'll support you in whichever way. And then at work, I've had managers who consistently and continuously encourages me to speak up and help enable my confidence by saying that, They do see a potential in me. It's just that I need to activate it. And ultimately, I think at the end of the day, it's what you want to do about it. And I must be honest as well. At the start, I'm not super confident or comfortable. So when they pushed me, I was still hesitant about it. But what I think really changed things is once you take the first step, the first baby step, the second step, the third step, you then start to realize that it's not that scary after mm-hmm. all. So my first step here was coming to the U.S., right? How old were you? I realized. So actually, I've been here twice. The first time I came here was for a prolonged period. When I say prolonged, it was about four months. I was in freshman year college in Singapore. I had my summer break. 
So I came here at 21, I think, or 20, yeah, 21. As in Singapore, we have to go for military training from 18 to 20 for all males. So compared to the rest of the world, most of the other countries and the ladies in Singapore, the, the male is like two years behind the education kind of timeline. Forgot so that about Singapore. Wow. Freshman college to work at the Grand Canyon as a server. So I was serving at a restaurant and I wanted to do that to get a different experience as well, to try something different because I knew that after my four years at college, I would be bound to a desk job, <laughs> like what I am doing today. So I wanted to try something different. So that was when I first came over for a slightly longer period of four months. It's 21. And then after I started my job at Visa, I came back for a six months assignment in my second year of my job. That was back in 2016. And then third time I came back, which is right now, is back in 2019. So I've been here for four years now. Beautiful. And I wondered, as a fellow traveler, I think we've spoken earlier that when you come from your motherland to a new land to create a new life, there's this feeling, and I've spoken with other immigrants about this feeling, of either you have to make it big or go home. And the, ma- the make it big part can mean different things for different people. Exactly. But, but I would say for most of us, whatever that big is, launching your venture, staying employed, falling in love, starting a family, whatever it is, it does encourage some sense and comfort with taking risks. Right. What say you? Would you say the same for you, that coming here has helped you and working here and leaving all you know behind to do so? What has that experience done to your comfort with taking risks and then how does that breed confidence? Yeah, I think it really increases or it really enhances my risk appetite for sure. Let me start by saying that I've been given this opportunity. First, I'm very grateful for it where I'm given the opportunity, my parents were supportive, so I didn't have to worry about things back home. So the move here, in my opinion, was not super risky in the grand scheme of things. Because if I moved here and things did not work out, I still have somewhere to go back to back home, Mm -hmm. right? So why not just go try it out and see what I make out of it? So... I think to answer your question, I didn't feel it was a super risky move to start with. Mm -hmm. But when I came over, I felt that my risk appetite actually enhanced or increased because of the environment that I was put into, right? So a very different culture, a new set of friends, a new set of co-workers, having to find my own identity, developing or making a life for myself over here with no one, no family members and everything. Having to read other people for your safety. Correct. Correct. Reading other people and taking risk decisions, whether to go to certain places or not, even on holidays and things like that. So everything is like a calculation, more than what I would like if I were back home. Mm-hmm. Back home would be super comfortable. I'll have a financially secure job. 
I'll have nice friends around me. I don't have to worry about my safety when I travel or when I go outside on the streets. But over here, it's just a lot more risky in that sense. And it also depends on, to your point, how do you define success, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, fortunately, like I said, moving over wasn't as risky as some other people. I do acknowledge that. And like I said, I'm super grateful for that because I don't have to worry about finances back home. I don't have to worry about my parents' health. And I can go in peace in that way. Or I could come here in peace. And I think that peace allowed me to take other kinds of risk, mm-hmm. which I am truly grateful for. Tell me a few things that you've been able to take risks on. Yeah, like Korea, for example, mm-hmm. right? Some people might say it's so much comfortable back home. You probably could get promoted and get nice salary because of the lower tax rates back home versus the US where it's much higher, at least three to four times higher. Wow. So financial risk, yeah, it's one where I could maybe retire earlier if I was back home, right? So that's one risk I probably took financially, mm-hmm. right? Second is my personal well-being or safety generally. So I have people back home who could look after me if something happens to me. The streets are safer back home in Singapore. Things work. Everyone is nice. But over in the U.S., it's slightly more dangerous in that sense. Especially and where you're based. Me, Especially where you're that? based in San yeah, Francisco. Exactly, based in San Francisco. And if my health takes a turn, there's no one else to turn to other than maybe a couple of close friends that I have over here. But you're still not family. Ultimately, you'll feel more comforted if, if you have family members with you during those times, right? And then the third is the risk of like just loneliness, I think, mm-hmm. of identity. Because mm-hmm. I have my identity set up in Singapore, right? I have my career, I have my church group, I have my parents, my family support, I have my friends. But over here, you're going into the unknown and you risk, in a way, my and how I think is like falling through the cracks. In this huge country mm-hmm. with 300 million plus people, me coming from a smaller country, I, I would just risk like being someone somewhere out there. Mm-hmm. So I think those were the risks in my mind. But like I said, ultimately, if it doesn't work out, I'll just go back home, whatever. If it works out, at least when I'm at 60, 70 years old or when I'm laying at my deathbed, I will remember the times where I put myself out there in the U.S. and I don't think I'll regret it. And that becomes one of your mantras too, right? To not with regret? Yeah. I wonder if we close our interview, if you could speak with one of the millions of professionals today who are struggling with chronic fear of speaking with Mm. those with power in the workplace, especially during prolifically high job cuts and just Mm. an overall malaise of uncertainty and distrust, what would you tell them? Yeah, I think what I would tell them is firstly, the fear is real. Mm -hmm. And I think it's okay because I face it myself as Mm -hmm. well. And like I said, in my circumstance, even when I'm 
scared of it with no family. I have no dependence or anything. So if I get fired tomorrow, I would still be fine. But I do understand people who might have those financial obligations, responsibilities to people, and they cannot risk putting their career at risk. So first, I would say it's okay and it's totally understandable. You're not you're not wrong to feel that way, right?、Mm-hmm. And secondly, maybe take baby steps, like try talking about a less risky topic. Try to engage someone with a less risky topic and get a sense of feel of how things are、mm-hmm. before taking the next step and the next step.、Mm-hmm. I think that getting a sense of your company, the culture, your boss, and how they view people, having a point of view, having opposing views. I think that's important. Reading the room, basically. Reading the room, I think too. Can I bring in something that you brought up before、yeah. I hit record? A couple of things really stood out to me as beautiful insight. One is just know that if a bird flew by, they probably wouldn't notice. Yeah, that's right. <laughs>、uh, do the bird fly by technique. You know, if a bird flew、yeah. by, would they notice what I said in that meeting? Yep. But those were my words. Your words were: chances are your、yeah. leader won't remember. What、That's、you right, said exactly that was where I was going to. Like ultimately, no one will remember what you said at the end of the day.、Mm-hmm. Your CEO might not even remember your name. Like who is the one who said that? I can't remember. Right. <laughs> right. Good thing then. Yeah. If it's a bad thing, then maybe. Okay. I don't know who said. <laughs> right. So that's it. And also, there was something we co-created together, and that was、um, partner with your manager and、oh, yeah, and a peer.、Exactly. And if you're not sure how to show up in a meeting, then ask someone you trust. How can we best align together so we both help each other look good in this meeting? Can I disagree with you? If I have a contrary position, do you permit me to bring it up in the meeting? And if so, how? So having sort of any questions or concerns that you have about speaking up, address them and eliminate the fears so that you can feel at least confident on one or two things to speak up on. Yeah, I think、exactly. this is lovely. Well, thank you so much. It was really, really great talking with you. Thank you, Debbie. This was fun, and yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to share my thoughts. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure, and I think you teach me a lot, and I know others can learn from you. Thank you. From the U.S. state of Wisconsin, you've been listening to Competency Number Five. Want to learn more about communications and coaching? See my show notes for my LinkedIn profile, website, and my Medium channel. There, you'll gain more tips and techniques on effective communications, including the coach approach to leading and communicating. Thank you to my producer Dota Nayini for the elegant edits that you hear in each episode, and to the indie rock band from Seattle, Wiretree, for my podcast music. You're listening to Marching Band. You can follow Competency Number Five wherever you get your podcasts. Do forward this episode to those you care for and love. Speak with you next episode, and bye bye for now.